This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. When we talk about the issue of housing, we're talking about so much more than building one home for one person. Housing is a balancing act among the people who need places to live, the developers who build it, the city that makes the rules, and even the neighbors who already live in a place. And as the demand for homes in the Phoenix area keeps rising, all of the barriers in the way of housing are only getting more complicated. And affordable housing, that might be the most complicated of all. This way. I didn't want you guys to get kind of like lost because it's a big apartment complex. Yeah, we drove around a few mm-hmm, times. Mm-hmm. We got like- Chanel Sinclair is a single mom who moved to Arizona a few years ago. She works at a program for kids with special needs and doesn't make a lot of money. She has a Section 8 housing choice voucher to help cover her rent, but she had a really hard time finding an apartment that would actually accept it. And it's the third floor. And it's a pain because all So right now, with a limited budget and limited choices, Chanel doesn't feel great about her home. Actually, you know, my sister can vouch for that. I cried when I had to move my stuff in only because it was on a, I don't know, I just wasn't used to like urban, urban area, like, you know, where I moved to. But in reality, my sisters, you know, they were trying to cheer me up. Oh, there's nothing wrong. I'm like saying to myself, you don't have to live here. Because like I said, I live right by, right on Glendale and all you hear is traffic and all day, all day, day in, day out. I'm like, it's three o'clock in the morning. The traffic is still going like this. From here, Arizona, this is unaffordable. I'm Katherine Davis-Young. A lot of us want the same things when we think about our ideal home. Some space, somewhere to host our friends and family, maybe a neighborhood that's not too far away from where we work. So why is it so hard to build the kind of housing people want and need? There's typically about 14 projects that happen throughout the state in a given year, um, which produces about 700 units of uh, new construction affordable housing. Terry Benelli is the executive director of LISC, or Local Initiatives Support Corporation. She heads up the Phoenix branch of this national organization that invests in all kinds of community development programs, affordable housing included. Is that the end of the story? Everything's all well and good. We're producing plenty of affordable housing. (laughs) Well, no, I would disagree with that statement. (laughs) There is some affordable housing being built in Arizona. It's just that it's not being built fast enough. Meanwhile, there's a ton of high-end housing going up. I think a good indication of the outpace in the growth of luxury units versus affordable is that in 2018, 4,700 units of luxury apartment stock came to market um, in downtown Phoenix. So our 3,500 units took us eight years to build, and in you know probably a two-year construction period, 4,700 units of luxury were built. So why is it that the, the luxury housing is so far outpacing the affordable stuff. Well, I think it's just, it's a matter of numbers. 
Putting up these complexes, that's really, really expensive. So if building high-end means a developer can charge more for rent and make more money back, they're going to do it. And why shouldn't they? The risk associated with making the decision to develop these things all warrant sufficient returns to take the risk. Mark Stapp is a longtime developer, and he's the executive director of ASU's real estate program. And, and I tell people, it's not city councils, it's not planning and zoning commissions, it's not neighborhood groups that develop cities and towns, it's developers who are willing to take the risk, organize the resources, and expend the energy and the capital to do it. And that's not, it's not an easy process. Imagine a business where we're making decisions today about things that won't happen for a very long time in an environment that's constantly changing that we have little or no control over. Why would somebody want to be in that business? And that's what development is. It's taking all of those risks and being able to understand how to manage all of that uncertainty. And that warrants a return. So developers are putting in tons of luxury housing, and there are only so many people in the Phoenix area who can afford that. For those who can't, there aren't many options coming onto the market. Without some kind of policy or some kind of stalling, putting the brakes on private market rate development, I think we just see lower income folks and people of color getting pushed out of neighborhoods that they've been in for generations. And honestly, where do they go? We don't have the answer to that. We don't have the answer. According to housing research by RealPage, rents in Phoenix are rising faster than anywhere else in the country. In 2018, Phoenix saw its biggest year-over-year -year rent increases ever. Still, Benelli doesn't think it's too late for Phoenix to turn this trend around if the city makes some really strategic policy and planning decisions. But when it comes to urban planning, there are people who say Phoenix doesn't have a great track record. Has Phoenix made any mistakes in terms of urban planning in the last, you know, 10, 20 years or even longer? I'm trying to think if there were any times when Phoenix didn't make mistakes. Sean Sweat is the president of the Urban Phoenix Project, which works to promote a more walkable, bikeable city. If you start looking into urban planning in Phoenix, Sweat's name shows up everywhere, on city council minutes, on social media, in news stories. He's very vocal about the problems he sees with the city's design. One example is parking in all the, in all the cities across the country. But in Phoenix as well, we've instituted parking minimums. What it means is that a developer has to build X number of parking spaces per something. If you're building a church, I think you have to have one parking space for every 53 linear inches of pew. If you are building a go-kart track, then you have to have one parking space for every one and a half go-karts. It's ridiculous things like that. Those numbers have no empirical basis. A recent study in the journal Cities shows that 10% of the valley is now just parking spaces, which, wow. But Sweat says all that parking isn't just ugly. 
Parking minimums are the type of regulation that can actually make housing more expensive. Developers don't just need to budget for the building, they also need to budget for those required parking spaces. And that extra cost gets passed on to rent payers. If we were to eliminate parking minimums and let developers only build as much as they need, rents would come down as much as 15% in some places. The parking minimums also spread the city out, which increases the need for cars. Owning a vehicle is very expensive. And while Phoenix does have some public transportation options, getting around in a city designed for cars is really tough if you can't afford a vehicle or if you can't drive. Take it from Mary Smith. The buses were killing me, and I did go down and get dial ride, but that's still so unpredictable. Mary so, has a disability no, that makes it hard to walk. She's a survivor of domestic violence. She's been homeless, and now she's raising her nine-year-old son by herself. She's lived here all her life, but life in Phoenix hasn't always so been easy that, for her. My transportation was huge because I don't drive, and I'm trying to get around and push myself down the road with my walker, I just, just roll it, I just, and then there were some days that the bus didn't connect, and I had to go get my son, and then I had to walk like a half a mile, and I was only working four hours a day then, so I, I was taking the bus for like six of those hours back and forth, and it wasn't even very far, but things like that can really damage your spirit, I mean, I'm trying so hard to get to daycare, and The way a city is designed impacts so much. And Sweat says in Phoenix, urban planning decisions are making life more difficult and expensive for people like Mary. In Phoenix, the zoning code that we have often incentivizes people to build the wrong thing. Did you hear that? Phoenix, the zoning code that we have. Zoning codes. Okay, I know it doesn't sound like the sexiest thing ever. But when it comes to housing and development, zoning is critical. Things like parking minimums don't just happen. Most cities have some sort of general plan. Think of that like a city's vision board for the future. Lots of people, planning professionals, the public, city officials, come together to create this blueprint for how they want the community to grow and develop long term. And from there, local governments create zoning regulations to help make that vision a reality. And zoning determines so many things. Think about where you live right now. Is it a house or an apartment? How many stories is it? If you live in a house, what does the rest of your block look like? It's probably more houses and they're probably a pretty similar size to yours, right? What's nearby your place? A church, a school, a strip mall, a place with a liquor license? That's all decided by zoning. The consequences of these laws impact your life whether you realize it or not. If we're having minimal lot sizes and we're saying just single-family homes, well, that's already preventing the classic rental model of having like a multifamily rental. Joanna Lucio with the ASU School of Public Affairs has spent decades researching housing policies and how regulations impact inequality. She worries that by limiting which types of housing can go where, 
we're also limiting who gets to live where. So it tends to be white, middle class, upper middle class who live in these areas that we find of exclusionary zoning. Exclusionary zoning. That's zoning that excludes certain buildings like multifamily apartment complexes from going into a certain area. Exclusionary zoning has kept multifamily housing out of certain neighborhoods very well, and it's a powerful tool. They're not saying we're going to exclude people per se, but they were just this more planned community model thought, oh, we can, you know, let's keep our houses larger and people want more space. We want um, low density building. And so I think that's kind of how these plans come about. So if the zoning code says only single family houses can go into one neighborhood and the lots have to be bigger than half an acre, that means only people who can afford a single family home on half an acre of land can be a part of that community. It's kind of mandating that the people who live here are going to have probably a certain income and a certain probably socio-demographic in general. And so that becomes problematic because in that community, when it later does want to include affordable housing, has to do some significant rezoning in order to build something. And that's where we see a lot of the conflict happening. Here's the thing. These zoning rules aren't set in stone. They get updated all the time. But if developers want to change the zoning on a property, they have to go through the city. It takes time and money, and there's no guarantee the zoning change will be approved. That influences where affordable housing ends up. It does tend to go to areas that are more impoverished. That's where we tend to build affordable housing because for developers, it means they don't have to fight. Like we said, these regulations have huge impacts on people's lives. Remember how Chanel could only find one place she could afford that would accept her Section 8 voucher? That left her living in a neighborhood that feels unsafe to her. I really do not shop. Like, I would go across town with my sister at to Fry's, and I have a Fry's right down the street from me. I'm serious. Like, I never shop around here. I'm always shopping around my sister's side, uh, uh, you know. Just because you think that's a nicer neighborhood. It is a nicer area. Uh, You know, you really don't see all that panhandling. And that's just me, you know. Um, So, yeah, like being in a nicer neighborhood is important to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it is. (laughs) As demand for housing grows and grows, almost every neighborhood in the valley is getting more expensive. And as people continue to move here, the city's going to have to get denser. In circumstances like this, developers have to start getting creative and looking at putting more multifamily housing in places that aren't zoned for that. And if a developer in Phoenix applies to change a zoning law, their application might just land on the desk of City Councilwoman Laura Pastor. We're definitely seeing affordability in housing a number one priority we realize there's not enough affordability. Pastor is the chair of the city council's planning and economic development subcommittee. So she's a key player when it comes to making urban planning decisions. There's a lot of people moving to Arizona, rents are rising really fast, and government tends to move slowly. So realistically, do you feel like Phoenix city government is able to keep up with the pace of growth that you're seeing in an area like downtown Phoenix? We are keeping up and we're generating the growth and we're uh, out in the community saying come to Phoenix, uh, recruiting companies to come to Phoenix. But in order to do that, you have to have something. You have to give something. 
Earlier this year, City Council agreed on a policy that says if developers are building housing downtown, they can have a tax break from the city for a few years if the developer commits to making 10% of the units in their project workforce housing. Workforce housing in Phoenix basically means housing for people making less than $50,000 a year, but maybe making too much to qualify for Section 8 assistance. So there are things the city government can do to encourage developers to build affordable. But development is business. The zoning is not that difficult. Uh, I don't think affordability is that difficult, but you'll hear that pushback from developers because in, at the end of the day, they want to make sure the project's viable, but also uh, wanting to see what the city incentives there, what type of incentives there are. So it's a it's a it's a partnership that the city and the private development have in the sense of it's a dance of can you do this for us? We'll do this for you. But that doesn't mean it's easy to work with the city government. In fact, developers like Mark Stapp think there's still way too much red tape. Every jurisdiction has got its own ordinances, and therefore you've got individual cities and towns that impose restrictions on you, which makes this entire business really inefficient. This is the, the most regulated business in the country, hands down. And at the same time, you have people like Sean Sweat saying the city isn't doing all it can to make Phoenix more equitable. I think it's really an issue of the wrong regulations. Um, we need to remove some, add others, and change others. So um, it's really a matter of, of revisiting the whole thing. We used to build well in American cities, and we're not doing it now. We know how to do this. We just have to have the, the understanding that it's, need, that it's necessary. Development comes with a certain amount of regulatory back and forth. But let's say the developer and the city work through all that. Even if city council members are open to the idea of changing zoning rules for certain projects, even if they're willing to work with developers to find a way around regulations, even if the developer comes up with enough funding for a project that will create more housing for low-income people, Sometimes it's not City Hall that holds up these projects. Sometimes it's the community. This will be the main entranceway into the property uh, with an exterior staircase. And on the other side are the elevators that will drop. You might have heard the term NIMBY, which stands for Not In My Backyard. It's something Joe Keeper with Native American Connections hears a lot. The nonprofit built and manages around 400 units of affordable housing across the city. We talked to him on the construction site of their newest NAC building in downtown Phoenix on 2nd Avenue. Have you ever run into any communities that say they don't want to have an affordable housing construction project near their house? Oh yeah, we. I don't want to call it nimbyism, um, an opportunity to educate as maybe I would, I would describe it. You know, there's a big fear of a lack of management, um, a lack of quality of design, a lack of upkeep. I mean, frankly, most of NAC's properties look better than most market rate properties you'd see in the neighborhood. It just makes it a little bit difficult for us to sometimes go in and convince folks without a lot of education up front. Um, but we get there and, you know, sometimes we don't win them all over, but that doesn't mean we don't try. Whether a new construction project is going to be affordable or luxury housing, communities are likely to oppose it. 
Joanna Lucio says this happens all the time. But there's something about affordable housing that really triggers people to think, oh, my property values are going to plummet and crime is going to increase. The research shows that that does not happen in communities where we have well-maintained and well-managed housing. So those fears are not necessarily warranted. It's bipartisan opposition. People will say, you know, people who really support affordable housing and spending more money towards affordable housing, oh, if it's right near me, never mind. The population of Phoenix is growing fast, and we need new housing here, but there's no way to deny it. New buildings, no matter how big the complex, how high the rents, inevitably change the look and feel of a neighborhood. And this is the kind of thing that gets people fired up and speaking out at City Hall. Mr. Mayor, City Council, thank you for allowing me to speak. Almost 30-year resident of um, the neighborhood that is about half a mile from the side of the This is a great neighborhood. These are educated residents. They want the best for their community. They want the best for the city. And um, I raised my family Uh, there. It's an amazing little neighborhood. It's going to have a negative impact on my neighborhood. It's going to surround my neighborhood with towers. This is clearly spot zoning. I don't intend to move. I don't intend to leave. There is no reason for the massiveness of this. We don't have a high-rise office. Maybe you picked your place because you loved the view. Or you loved the quietness of the street. Think about it. If you found out a huge new housing project was going to double the population of your block and come with months of construction cranes and jackhammers, what would your first reaction be? My husband and I just bought a house in Phoenix, and I love our new neighborhood. If my block was going to suddenly change, how would I react? The influx of traffic, we would like cars, you deny. So I just want to leave you with that thought and urge you to vote no. Thank you very much for your testimony. So what can we do? Joanna Lucio says the only way we'll succeed in increasing urban density and building enough housing to accommodate the rate of growth in this city is to get everyone to work together. I think we have to approach a community saying, hey, we want to we want to build a community, um, get businesses on board, get the schools on board, but get the broader community on board saying, hey, we can really enrich this community by increasing housing. But trying to get everyone, developers, city council, community members, on the same page is not easy. And when these parties disagree on new development in Phoenix, city councilwoman Laura Pastor is often the person who has to settle the dispute. My motion is the following with stipulations. I move to deny the high-rise overlay. I cap the building height at 110 feet. If it can't be worked out, then I listen to the whole case on both sides uh, of that day of the zoning case, and then I determine at that moment what I'm going to do. Require ground level activation. It's a lot of pressure. I, I also put a lot of pressure on myself because this is a major decision, and I look at these decisions as I'm not only impacting the community, I'm impacting what goes into that space for the rest of the life of Phoenix. And it's 10 years, 20 years, it could still be sitting there. And how does that impact today? But what's that impact for tomorrow? Housing takes a long time to build, and it lasts a long time once it's there. We know there's a need for more housing, but how can we build it fast enough? And how can we guarantee we'll get it right? Before you or I or Chanel came looking for a place to live, there were already so many people who had had a say in how our lives in Arizona would be. 
developers, the city, our neighbors? No, it was not easy, because a lot of places, they wasn't really accepting the voucher. So I was like, oh my god, and these are pretty in nice, decent areas, because that's where I wanted to go. Like back home, um, I lived in a good area. I lived in a decent area, and I wanted the same out here, you know. But it was, it was really, really hard. We each may have a clear vision of the kind of dream home we want. But in reality, there are so many obstacles to creating housing. On the next episode, we'll take a closer look at the biggest obstacle to affordable housing of all. Money. You just listened to Unaffordable from Here, Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Since we're a brand new show, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends to check us out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be a part of the conversation. Follow Here, Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In this episode, you heard from LISC, the Urban Phoenix Project, and from one of your representatives at City Hall. For more information about the organizations and agencies that work on the issue of housing in Arizona, head over to our resource page at hearearizona.org. Also, special thanks on this episode to CAS, Central Arizona Shelter Services. Here, Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by Rachel Aronoff and me, Catherine Davis-Young, with contributions from Paul Atkinson. Linda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>